This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. But first, very pleased to welcome back liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you. Let's talk about, uh, first of all, the, the B.C. economy here. And it's interesting to see other provinces uh, start to at least lay out a plan for opening up their economies. Here's a listen to, have a listen to John Horgan here, the Premier. Mr. Wilkinson, if you can, I'm going to get your reaction to this. Here's Horgan talking about economic recovery here. There is no doubt that our economy today is not what we had forecast it to be four weeks ago. And we don't know where it's going to be four weeks from now. But we do know that we need to prepare for coming out of this. Dr. Henry says uh, repeatedly, whenever I'm talking to her, this is for now, not forever. And I think the public needs to have comfort that government's looking at what happens when we come out the other side of this, and are we making plans, are we putting aside resources so that we can kickstart and stimulate that economic activity when the time is right? Okay, Premier John Horgan, Andrew Wilkinson, what do you think? Are you satisfied with what you're seeing here in terms of the planning coming from this government to get the economy going again? Well, Mike, put yourself in the shoes of someone who runs, say, a flower shop. And you say, gee, it's been tough. I got no revenue. I've had to let go of the person who used to work here. And I got to have lead time to order flowers. And what are the rules going to be? And maybe I'll be out of business by the end of May at this rate. So if you're running that flower store, you need some certainty. You got to know what you're supposed to do when things start. When we'll be up to Dr. Bonnie Henry. But right. do you need to order a bunch of gloves and PPE? How do you handle your flowers? You've got to order the flowers two weeks in advance. So it's high time that the provincial government took on the role of saying what has happened already in Saskatchewan, Ontario, Quebec, and New Brunswick, and PEI, right. what's the plan? And it's not really Bonnie Henry's plan. This is the provincial government's plan, and the timing will be set by Dr. Bonnie Henry. Okay, do you think that's especially true given that British Columbia has, we've had a lot of success in, in bending down this curve. I mean, this is one of the lowest transmission rates of this virus in the country. we got a province of 5 million people here. There's 100 people in the hospital. So, I mean, we're not out of the woods yet. But do you think that given where we're at right now, the government should have a, a more detailed plan out there for people? Yeah, and I think all of us would agree we've got to defeat this virus. And yeah. we've been very supportive of Dr. Henry from day one. Right saying that the goal here is to have a comprehensive plan to defeat the virus. But when do you say, okay, it's sufficiently under control now, and we have to get people back engaged in their lives? People can't just sit at home watching their dreams and hopes just disappear in front of them as they slowly go broke. We have to have a plan, and that's up to the provincial government. So uh, just yesterday we put out a notice saying, gee, it's time for British Columbians to have some kind of game plan as to where we're going with all of this. Saskatchewan put out one last Friday that's actually very specific with uh, phase one that starts on Monday, May the 4th, reopening things like um, dentistry, occupational therapy, and so forth. Some things have already happened here, like golf courses. Then they have a phase two for reopening retail on May the 19th. Those dates have to be set by Dr. Henry when she thinks the system is ready. But on the other hand, all of these specific details, like how to run a toy store or a jewelry store, we need guidance from the provincial government so that people can have some 
certainty well, in their lives and can plan for whether they're going to need to order a whole bunch of PPE from somewhere and go and find the stuff because it's hard to find. Well, what would be your plan? I mean, if you were in the premier's office right now, this is the job that you want to have. What would be the plan that you'd be laying out for the people of BC? Like, it's interesting that you just said that in Saskatchewan, they're going to open up dentist offices on Monday, which is amazing. Do you think people, British Columbians, should be allowed to go to the dentist next week? Well, I'm not a dentist, and I'm not Dr. Henry, so obviously she would have said, to be setting the parameters the poli- around these things. I thought you said the politicians should make these decisions. Well, the, the dentistry is pretty specific, Mike, and you've got someone putting their hands in your mouth. That's pretty close contact. So clearly the rules around that are set by Dr. Henry. But the wider issues of things like, as I said, a flower shop, a toy store, a bookshop, they need guidance from the provincial government. And we are saying that if you take the Saskatchewan plan and leave the dates blank, Premier Horgan, why can't we go with a plan like that? Where is the plan so that people can start to plan to reopen their lives and get their businesses going again? Okay, speaking to Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson, the flower shop example is an interesting one because right now, if you run a flower shop in BC, you're not you're not shut down. I mean, Bonnie Henry has not issued an order saying that all flower shops in British Columbia must be out of business. You can open your business. So what are you saying? Like the government should have guidelines on how to how to run your business? Exactly. And that okay. gives people the certainty to be able to get out there and engage on the street again. You just have to drive down the streets of any town in British Columbia and see it's a ghost town because the sense is that everybody's got the sense they should go home and they're only safe at home and you don't want to go out except to get groceries or go to a pharmacy or maybe go to a doctor's office, even there being done by telemedicine. So the the ghost town streets are set by the kind of attitude that, gee, everything's been shut down. If you ask the regular British Columbians what things have been shut down, they will say just about everything. In fact, as you say, Dr. Henry hasn't shut them down, but there's a sentiment out there that everything's been locked down. That's what's happened in many other provinces and and states and across the world. But we have to have the clarity of what's going on so that everybody in the public gets the idea, oh, now it's safe to go to the flower store, safe to go to the shoe store, because there are rules and guidelines. And those stores aren't going to reopen until they know what the rules of the game are. Okay, some of the things that Bonnie Henry has shut down, she has she has shut down some some businesses and and sectors of the economy, including of course the BC school system. So the schools are shut down. You have been critical of the online learning that the government has slowly rolled out here. Have a listen to this. Here's uh, Education Minister Rob Fleming here speaking yesterday. We've invited you to join us today to provide you with an update on all the work that's happening in the K to twelve education system to make sure that BC students and their families can continue their learning during this pandemic. This briefing is about an overview of all the things that are happening in BC's school system. It is not an announcement about BC schools uh, reopening. I thought it was interesting that right off the bat, one of the first things he said was, this is not an announcement about reopening schools. And I guess that maybe was, to me, was an indication that a lot of people are wondering what's going on with the schools, because we've heard Dr. Bonnie Henry suggest that maybe the schools could be reopened in the next few weeks. What are your thoughts on that? Should schools open again? Well, Denmark's a good example. They opened their elementary schools about two weeks ago with very specific rules and smaller classes so that kids go half-time. They've clearly set a precedent there that needs to be observed, and we'll have to learn from Dr. Henry whether that's a safe way to do things. But the bigger point, Mike is that Ontario and Alberta got out of the gate right away with province-wide 
uh, guidance from their Ministry of Education, and the private and Catholic schools all went back to to schooling pretty quickly. In British Columbia, the Minister of Education said, oh, well, we'll leave it up to the school districts. And listen, we've got 40,000 very capable teachers out there who know what they're doing, know how to administer the curriculum, know how to get the classes going. We've got 600,000-plus students out there who are in need of some guidance and direction and goals and get their education done. So where's the Ministry of Education? We have the minister out there saying what they're not doing. We want to know what they are doing by providing uniform, affordable software to all the school districts. They can get stuff done by providing tech support and guidance. That's their job. And we just haven't seen the Ministry of Education showing the kind of leadership that we expect in this situation. All right, welcome back. My guest, B.C. Liberal Leader Andrew Wilkinson. Your calls to him, 604-280-9898 is the number, star 9898, toll-free on your cell. Let's go to the phone lines. Ron in Vancouver. Hi, Ron. Hello. Hi, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Wilkinson, You, Mike Smith asked you specifically, what is your game plan and what would you do after you refer to the fact that the government should be making the decisions, but then you keep on saying, well, we're waiting to see what Bonnie Henry would do. Uh, we'd like to hear her opinion. Uh, would you please tell us what your plan is? Lay it out and tell us what the time frame is. Thank you, and I'll hang up and listen. Andrew Wilkinson. Well, take a look at the Saskatchewan plan. The dates are set for Saskatchewan circumstances. Dr. Henry should be de- determining the dates. But the contents of the plan make a lot of sense to me. And let's look at that plan and say, how could you make it better for British Columbia? For instance, golf courses have been closed in uh, Saskatchewan. They haven't been closed in B.C. That's a, a minor change. But the rest of it, why don't we take somebody else's plan and say, what needs to be changed? We have 30,000 people working for the provincial government. They've got to tell us how to run this so that we can get ourselves back in business. Yeah, but Saskatchewan's got a lot fewer COVID cases than we do, right? Like the last time I checked, I think they had like six people in the hospital or something like that. I mean, it's a much smaller province. They have a much smaller outbreak of the virus. So doesn't it make sense that they would open up before us? Yeah, that's why I said the timing up to Dr. Henry. Okay, well, what do you want her to do? I mean, what do you want her to say? You want well, to say- if the province puts out the Saskatchewan plan and says, okay, let's look at their phase one. Uh, the first topic is reopening medical services like optometry. Second thing is fishing and yeah. boat launches. Skip the golf courses one. Fourth one is parks and campgrounds. They should be able yeah. to say to her, look, this is a reasonable plan. What dates would you suggest are workable for do you this? Think, do you think they should open up the provincial parks? Because when, when they shut the provincial parks down, uh, that one struck me as a bit overkill. I mean, if people can't physically distance in a huge park i don't know where you can do you think the park should be yeah i'm a big fan of the outdoor especially at times like this and you can only guess that i they thought that high density parks like cultus lake and alice lake would get overwhelmed with people so shut down the entire system and i think you and i say oh boy you know that's uh hitting a fly with a sledgehammer let's go to dave and delta on the open line hi dave yeah um I think it's ridiculous to want to have the schools open right now. Um, Kids are really good at spreading uh, viruses and diseases, and uh, they're not very good at staying away from each other. And uh, if you're looking at Taiwan, where they've already got the schools open uh, since the beginning of this, that's because the kids are very, very disciplined. Uh, The kids here are not that disciplined. They wouldn't be able to follow this. 
and uh, we'd be in a big problem afterwards. Dave, Dave, thank you for the call. I had calls yesterday on the show, Andrew Wilkinson, from parents who were worried about the schools reopening again, especially with the parents have got underlying health conditions themselves. They're worried about their kids bringing the virus home to them. I've talked to teachers and the spouses of teachers who are worried about going back to school. If they do open up the schools on a limited basis, do you think it should be voluntary? It should be your decision, a parent's decision to send your kid back? Oh, I think that's going to be the fact of the matter. I mean, all of these plans, no matter where you look, talk about limiting the number of people gathering, starting with 10 or 15 and then moving up to 30 to 50. Any of those will cause limitations on school opening. Plus, you point out correctly, parents are going to make the ultimate decision. The ones who think it's okay for their kids to go back to a classroom of 10 or 12 pupils will say, yeah, let's give it a whirl. Others will say, no, I don't want to take the risk. And so ultimately, it's a parental decision, and it's going to be up to uh, the provincial government to come up with a game plan for this and Dr. Henry to say when it would be possible to go ahead with that. Let's see if we squeeze in one more. Roxanne on the line in Surrey. Hi. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. I have a math question for Mr. Wilkinson. With regards to the education system, Shane Woodford, who's in Denmark, talked about what it looks like K to 6. To facilitate that, teachers are being redeployed because you have to have smaller classes. Where are you going to find those teachers after 10 years of liberal cuts to BC Ed and the teacher shortages that existed before this pandemic? Andrew, we got a minute left here. Go ahead. Well, we have 40,000-plus very capable teachers in this province. We know that they can deliver educational services very effectively because we have great results in this province. We've got 600,000 students. So the point is, let's get things going by figuring out what the plan is. The date for the plan will have to be determined by Dr. Henry, but everybody else in the world is coming up with the necessary plans to decide when to reopen the flower shop, when to reopen the dentist's office, when to reopen the schools, and it's up to the provincial government to lay out a plan so that people can come to their own conclusions and make their own plans to get their life back in order. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, Mike. Welcome back. Let's talk about the COVID-19 pandemic and driving your vehicle now. Are you waiting to get your driver's license? How do you do that when ICBC's road tests are shut down? What if you got a learner's permit and it's going to expire while everything is closed? Have a listen to this now. When you go on YouTube and look at some of ICBC's videos, they got lots of helpful videos out there on how to pass your driver's road test. Here's one of those ICBC videos here. Are you getting ready to take your road test? We want you to succeed. So here are seven helpful tips from our driver examiners. Tip number one, watch your speed. Don't go over the posted speed limit even if other drivers are speeding. When you're accelerating to merge onto a highway, be careful not to go over the speed limit. Okay, this is a good tip. If you're out there taking your road test, don't speed. Okay, I'm I'm glad that ICBC is there to tell us these things, but here's the deal. All the road tests are shut down. When are they going to open up again? Let's check in with Steve Wallace now, the owner of Wallace Driving School. Steve, it's nice to have you back on. Uh, good to hear you, Mike. Okay, let's talk about the ICBC road test. How long have they been shut down now? Um, right uh, to mid-March on the 15th, uh, around that date, yeah. all of the Class 5 and Class 7 road tests, uh, uh, virtually all of them were suspended. Yeah. Now, they are going to open the motorcycle tests sooner than later. I don't have an exact date, but it's going to be soon uh, because the social distancing is easy to uh, to get in that particular 
um, testing situation. Right. Okay. So if you're going to be on your motorcycle, obviously you're by yourself. So I guess it's easier to do a road test and maintain the physical distancing, right? Yeah, they've got a yeah. bit of a dog's breakfast trying to figure out how they're going to get things back back and running, but uh, they are not doing any road tests now. Plus, driving lessons are suspended as well because, right. again, you can't meet the social distancing six feet. But I think that at some juncture, I know that I've checked with the people in Wisconsin, I've checked with people throughout North America as to what certain jurisdictions are doing, and there is likely to be some sort of mask up um, situation uh, if you can get uh, the proper um, masking uh, quality. Uh, there may be an opportunity that uh, those kinds of tests would go ahead. But again, Bonnie Henry will be the decider on that particular item. Right. With with the ICBC road test shut down right now, Steve, is I guess that's creating a backlog of tests. Like how many people have, have had their tests canceled and what if you're you want to get your driver's license, but you're you're sitting there waiting for these tests to reopen? That's got to be tough for people. Well, to give your listeners an example, I run a driving school with anywhere between ten and fourteen cars at any given time. So we just canceled our sixty second test wow. uh, so far. So that's yeah. that's a sixty two people that are going to want to go in, and we're going to have to shuffle. And I know ICBC is very cognizant of the chronological. Um, uh, canceling of tests so uh it wouldn't be fair if someone had a test canceled on let's say march 27th and they decided to open testing on june 12th that the guy on june 12th who booked his test (laughs) you know gets to go in and the guy who had booked you know earlier doesn't so they've got some things to decide on and as far as the driving schools are concerned though we are all technically out of business we're not operating at this time and that my fear is that a lot of the driving schools may have have a have financial duress that's what's bothering me i mean i've been through this with icbc strikes and with the superintendent motor vehicles when they did testing with those strikes and so we've got a mitigation plan but my fear is the mom and pop kind of driving school where they run two cars and you know in the interior of the province or in in the periphery uh, of the Vancouver market, and they do well, but it's their only income. And as such, um, it's going to be a, a financial hardship for them. Now, now, granted, the programs offered by the federal government it, have been have been very useful for us. I mean, I've got all my instructors on that two thousand dollars a month um, yeah. subsidy, uh, and if you're renting, you get that you can get the five hundred dollars. With for owners, what they've done is they've said, okay, you can borrow 40000 and only have to pay thirty back. So there's some mitigation that's going on there. But, you know, we have a lot of people, a lot of people 16, 17 years old, this is the highlight of their life. You know, yeah. this is a big, big deal. This is the kind of thing you remember for the rest of your life, you know, your driver's test. And uh, there's a lot of frustration. And, and I'll tell you something else, Mike, that when this all settles, the people with a driver's license will be the best job candidates. That's who employers will be looking for for three reasons. One, it's a pseudo-intelligence test. Two, uh, it's a functional test. And three, it's an emergency kind of thing. So as far as having that license is concerned, it's going to separate people when it comes to seeking jobs. And those jobs are going to be 
more competed for at this time than any other time, I think, in the century. Okay, speaking of Steve Wallace from Wallace Driving School, one thing that occurred to me, Steve, is what if you've got your learner's permit and you've been waiting for an ICBC road test, the test has now been shut down, your road test is canceled. What about your learner's permit? Like, don't they expire after two years or something, your learner's permit? Yes, they expire after two years. And what ICBC has done is they've said, okay, um, if you want to come in and rewrite, we're not going to charge you to rewrite your learner's permit. Um, And what, and suppose you fail it and then you have to rewrite it again. You have to pay the money to rewrite, but how much is the fee? How much is the fee for that? $15. Oh, they're waiving the $15 fee. They're waiving the first fee. If your license expires. Wow. And um, what I'm saying to them is why don't you just extend all those learner's permits for an additional year? Yeah. That way, that doesn't encumber anyone because there's going to be a big back of uh, people attempting to get in there and do their learner's permits in order to qualify. And you can't right. book a road test unless you've got a learner's permit that is valid. Do you think ICBC so is th- saving a ton of money these days with uh, fewer accidents out in the road? I mean, the traffic is lighter. What's your experience when you've been out behind the wheel? I mean, ICBC must be must be saving a ton of money here. ICBC is definitely saving money. But to your listeners, I can tell you now that what I did with all of my cars is I took them all off of that business use and put them back into pleasure use. And I, I saved four figures, you know, small, between 1000 and $2,000 in doing that with the cars, the five cars that I own. So as such, it will help people if they're if they have business insurance on now, you know, they may want to go in and have that revamped to pleasure only. And the, the other thing that uh, is happening as well is with, within the um, work that we do, um, we're not sure exactly um, whether we should say, oh, we'll take the insurance off altogether and just park it and get storage insurance. Well, I can't do that because the Prius hybrid models have to be run. If you park a Prius hybrid and then you show up six weeks later and it's an 05, let's say to 09 or up to 2015 or so, those batteries don't recycle, don't reach, don't turn over, you can end up with $3,500 repair. All right, welcome back. As we continue talking about driving during the pandemic, my guest, Steve Wallace, Wallace Driving School, 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898, toll free on your cell. Let's go right to your calls right now. Gord in Richmond. Hi, Gord. Hi, Mike. uh, So recently I purchased a motorcycle, and uh, I had had a driver training uh, school that I was going to go to. I don't know, obviously all this stuff came on. Um, I was supposed to give a month's notice to cancel it. If I didn't do that, I'd get half the money back. So we came up with a consensus of uh, 30 days. So he was okay with that. But then yeah. I went into the Services Canada, and uh, that's at the time that they said, okay, we're not even doing the knowledge test now. So I don't have learners. I'm out 350 bucks, and I've got a brand new bike sitting in the underground park thanks Mike Steve what do you recommend I this is all collateral damage and I feel really bad for a number of the people that are caught in this wedge but the 
the thing they want to do is get back to ICBC. I believe they may have a manner of extending that license, and they can do that at any time. And as such, I think that you've been caught in some sort of a time warp, and, and I think that you should fall on their good graces. And I would talk to the supervisor at the ICBC site now, and uh, they will probably be able to solve your problem. Let's go to Wayne in Port Moody on the open line. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Mike. Uh, first, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Cool. Um, I, I also own a drive-in school. It's called Rock and Roll Drive-In School. Wow. And I, and I work out of Port Moody. And basically what my worries are is because all our drive-in schools are shut down and ICBC is sending out renewal letters to us for us to pay for our renewal fee. And also we have to get our vehicles inspected yearly. Mm. And I'm wondering if they're going to be waiving this. Uh, it's just a, a, a cost that we can't afford at the moment. Okay. Yeah, they, right. they, I, I was on with the... Uh, powers that be yesterday and they're going to extend that all for you so you want to get in touch with icbc and just get the exact uh, get the word from them but they are now extending those instructors licenses and those kinds of uh, bureaucratic things that will keep us in business all right wayne thanks for that good luck with rock and roll driving school there in port moody that's a good name i guess alan calling in from mission hi alan Hi there. Good morning. Hi. Uh, yeah, just uh, voicing how gutted I am as to how much my insurance has jumped. You were talking about ICBC giving back a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I went from the highest discount you could get, 43% uh, plus plus, and uh, last year, bare bones for my motorcycle for six months was under $200. It was, sorry. Uh, $220. Yeah. Right? Went in for three months, 568 bucks the other Whoa. day. That's Whoa. bare bones. I, I, I buy I buy private for the rest of the year. Have, have you had any accidents or tickets? No. No. What's up with Steve, do you think ICBC should be giving people a break? I mean, come on. Their claims costs have got to be way down. Well, one of the things that happened is 80% of the people would get a break in claims, and this fellow falls into the 20% within the motorcycle category where they've had a jump in crashes. And a lot of the times the liability uh, falls to the, you know, to, to the motorcycle owner. But the, the other thing that happens is they have these claims where people have to be supported as far as their health is concerned for years and years. So um, that's why there's been a jump there, but there are a couple of, uh, there are a couple of things that, uh, you're talking about where you call the dumpster fire, you know, the ICBC's dumpster fire. And I'm of yeah. two minds. I, I would like to see a break for people at this time, but I'd also like to see maybe the savings used to put a fire hose on this dumpster fire and put it out. If they're saving that much money, they may want to do one of two things. And that is pour all that money back into their, their deficit that they've had in the, and, and, and they've been running for a number of years and, solve that 1.3 billion problem or they might want to go and give drivers a break at the same time as put some money into the dumpster fire and putting it out okay i hope they give drivers something back here for uh, a lot of the big rate hikes we've seen over the last few years and in fairness to the government by the way they are say they're doing a review of their claims 
rates at ICBC, whether they're saving money with fewer accidents on the road, and if maybe they can afford to give something back to drivers. So make sure you stay tuned for that. We're probably going to get more on it. Let's get another call in here. Brent on the line in Delta. Hiya, Brent. Uh, good morning, Mike. How are you? Just a couple of quick points here. Sure. Um, uh, you know, with ICBC, I'm so tired of all the... the um, the things that go on over there, you know, a couple examples. Why are we paying insurance agents to renew straight uh, policies where there's no changes? That should all be done online. Yeah. You know, there's that one. Um, uh, the optional insurance companies reward you with safe driving, so your premiums actually go down. And, you know, for me, the bottom line, the provincial government should just get the heck out of insurance altogether and leave it to private enterprise where we have competition. Well, you know what? Thank you for the call. We, we're going to have a debate in this province. I mean, it's all been put on hold because of this pandemic we're going through. But back before the dark times, we were talking about how I, what ICBC is going to look look like going forward. And I, I believe that as we get closer to another provincial election, maybe probably next year, you will likely see an, a new debate uh, about some of the points that you just raised, whether ICBC should be fundamentally changed and opened up to private sector competition but you know what i totally agree with you on the online renewal i mean it's crazy that you got to go into an icbc broker office just to do a simple renewal of your insurance with a couple of clicks of a mouse and then you got to pay a commission to a broker this stuff can be done online it's done online everywhere else around the world steve we just got a minute left you agree renew online well there are two things online is got to happen eventually and as such as far as the ICBC and its whole entity is concerned. I think that uh, we have to be really cautious about that for two reasons. The first is when I was younger, I was vehicularly sodomized by an insurance company. I didn't know my rights, and I, you know, I was 23 years old. If someone had hit me, and I, they they kept me for a year, and then said, "Well, if you go past the year, then the whole thing is the the defunct, and we can't handle the claim, and so on." And okay. I'm a I'm a fan of ICBC for that reason. But what you say about the fees, Mike, and the renewals, I think that's got to happen sooner than later. Steve, thank you for coming on. Anytime, Mike. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about divorce, separation, and the COVID-19 pandemic now, and especially when it comes to kids and the coronavirus, with public health officials urging people to stay home. What if you are a divorced or separated parent? Maybe you share custody of your kids with your former partner. How does that work? How does it work for visitation rights? How does it work for shared custody? Let's talk about all these issues now with my guest, Stuart Zuckerman. He's a divorce lawyer with the Zuckerman Law Group, and I'm very pleased to welcome him. Hi, Stuart. Hi, I'm pleased to be here. Thanks. Th- thanks for doing this. I, I appreciate it. These are such difficult and troubling times. What's it, what's it like at, at your office these days? Are you seeing more people kind of going through marital strife and sort of breakdowns of relationship during this pandemic? Uh, we have in the last uh, two weeks or so. We've gotten about fifteen new divorce files, so maybe above the average in terms of the number of new cases per week that we're seeing. And uh, certainly, the anecdotal evidence from uh, kind of North America is it's 
there is uh, some increase um, in uh, separations and divorces. Definitely, uh, the stats are definitely saying there's a lot of increase in the number of calls to um, uh, abuse uh, support at women's shelter yeah. uh, centers in terms of incidents of violence and uh, things of that nature. And if, there's also data out of China that uh, there's two provinces in China that have seen the greatest increase in divorce violence that they have seen in, in many, many years, indicating okay. that civil officials indicated that they were overwhelmed with uh, the number of uh, divorces in the last month. So okay. there is a prediction uh, amongst certainly psychologists and divorce lawyers that there is going to be a uh, a greater number of uh, of divorces and separations flowing out of out of this conflict. Of course, whenever people have you know cracks in their relationship, those are going to be magnified when you're forced to be in the you know self isolating. You're not meeting with friends. You're not out socializing. You're not going to work. You're in each other's company day in day out, and so you know that tends to magnify conflict when okay. people are together. All right, speaking of Stuart Zuckerman, your phone line is just a, a little weak. If You're fading a little bit in and out there, Stuart. So if you could just talk a little closer to your phone microphone, right. or I don't know, maybe yep. step closer I'll to a window or something to get a stronger connection. I'll, I'll speak up and closer to the phone. That'd be great. Let me ask you this. What about when you got you got kids involved? I mean, and you've got, say, shared custody, whether it's a divorce or separation. We're told by public health officials to stay home, to remain with with your immediate family. How does how is that working out for people who got shared custody? Uh, well, generally, people are expected to follow their agreements or their court orders with respect to parenting uh, for children. Uh, there is uh, there are restrictions. Uh, in place in the courts in terms of what cases they will hear uh, currently compared to what it was like before the crisis because the courtrooms are are closed so these applications are done over the telephone um, and there are a number of rules set out um, uh, in cases decided uh, in BC about what is urgent what is urgent what isn't urgent uh, in terms of the courts hearing uh, matters and making determinations during uh, the crisis uh, so uh, but certainly, uh, you know, when the well-being of children are uh, at stake, uh, if there's matters of protection or abuse, those are uh, definitely given priority. Um, and even things such as denial of parenting time during the crisis, which is happening, uh, is being dealt with by the court. There's a very recent uh, decision uh, uh, made on April 20th called uh, McKinney versus Sanderson, um, which uh, was handled by one of the lawyers in my office. Uh, by our BC Provincial Court, where Judge Ferris set out um, just recently a number of uh, uh, conditions and circumstances that the court looks at in terms of requests for urgent relief uh, relating to a child or a parent and parenting time with children, um, where one parent was denying parenting time and the court ordered um, a hearing in order to determine what the parenting schedule should be. Wow, okay, so... I'm curious about what if you got illness involved? Like, what if one of the parents is is feeling sick? What if the chil- some of the kids are feeling sick? Does that impact the schedule, the shared parenting schedule, and access to kids? It, it does. Um, the court, uh, in another recent decision, uh, cited uh, a memo prepared by a, a well-known and well-respected child psychologist uh, in BC, Michael Elterman, um, and he set out seven factors uh, in, in that decision that the court should look at uh, in terms of uh, suspending or varying parenting time where, uh, where one of the family homes may have 
uh, vulnerable uh, elderly or otherwise ill people in the home, uh, whether uh, a fact is to consider whether either of the parents or the child are exhibiting um, uh, COVID-like uh, symptoms or whether they've been exposed to someone right. with COVID. Um, and, and the idea is to protect the vulnerable people in the home and, if necessary, suspend uh, parenting time in order to protect vulnerable parties or vulnerable children. Um, so obviously, if the child is suffering um, with illness, it, it may be that the court says the child should stay in one home rather than going back and forth in order to expose both households to the virus. So those are all factors that the court is taking into account. Okay, it's uh, it's heartbreaking to think of, of kids sort of trapped in the middle of any kind of a, a broken marriage, especially if things get nasty. But then when you get uh, a pandemic like this, it, it just throws another kind of variable into the mix. Like, what is your advice to clients who are, say, are in a dispute? Maybe they disagree about uh, how the child access should be shared. Um, do you recommend, is it, is it always better to try and work things out through mediation rather than ending up in front of a judge? Uh, of course it is. You know, I, I've said this for, for years. I'm a family law mediator as well as a lawyer, and um, and I've been practicing family law for 32 years. And, and the the risk of going to court uh, for these kind of disputes is that a judge, you know, has no knowledge of the family other than what they hear in the two-hour hearing or the one-day hearing that the matter is determined. So, you know, the parents are in a better position between themselves and especially if they have the assistance of a qualified mediator to help to help them communicate and work things out to focus on a solution that meets their best the best interests of everybody involved. Whereas a judge is just hearing the facts for the first time, doesn't know either of the parties parties from Adam, and is making a determination that's going to impact the life of the child and the parents for quite some time, often as long as a year or more until there can be a, a trial to make a final decision on the matter. So going to court over a temporary decision can have a big impact on everybody's life, but it's costly. If you're hiring lawyers, you can spend thousands or tens of thousands of dollars on a hearing, and and you're you're stuck with the decision uh, that you get, um, and you only have a limited amount of time in which to present the salient evidence. And uh, and you know every judge, of course, brings their own experience and so-called social bias uh, to the uh, to the hearing. And it's always better if the parties can work it out through mediation and come to a solution that they both agree to, rather than something being impo- imposed from an outsider. All right. Welcome back. Talking about divorce, separation and child custody during the COVID-19 pandemic. My guest is Stuart Zuckerman. He's a divorce lawyer, Zuckerman Law Group. Phone me on this 604-280-9898 is the number. 604-280-9898, star 9898, toll free on your cell. Let's go right to your calls. Jeremy calling in from Abbotsford. Hi, Jeremy. Hey, morning, Mike. I got two questions. My first question is, I have three kids in a shared custody agreement, amicable, 50-50% for over five years. It's all going fairly amicable as best as things go. Uh, Age 14 and 18 and then 21. My two older ones, the 18 and 21 boys, are, are, when they're with their mom, I should say, are not not staying in the same house. They're going out with friends or associating with other households. Mm -hmm. And when they do that, because my new spouse has a, a propensity for bronchitis and then pneumonia. So when the boys do that, I just tell them, okay, for two weeks, you have to stay with your mom. You're not coming here until two weeks goes by to make sure that everything's fine. And my 13-year-old daughter, sorry, 14-year-old daughter still comes back and forth to normal four and four. I want to know if my ex, when I do that, 
especially because it's happening when they're in her care at her house. If she has any claim for more, more of anything, child support or changes in agreements or, or a legal thing against me when I tell her essentially to keep the boys for those times. Wow, tough one. Stuart, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, it's an interesting question. What, he, what the caller is doing is consistent with what uh, Dr. Elterman's recommendations are and what the court has tacitly approved, that, that children who are uh, exposed and where one household has a vulnerable member, uh, that access may be suspended to avoid the vulnerable uh, family household member being exposed. So what he's doing is appropriate and in the eyes of the court. Uh, but um, when you have a 50-50 schedule, child support is based on each party's income and there's an offset. So let's say the husband is earning uh, 60000 a year and his child support is 1000 a month and the wife is earning 40000 a year and her child support obligation would be 400 a month, then there would be an offset amount where the you know, you take one from the other and what's left over is what the husband would pay in child support to the wife. Now, that's based on 50-50 parenting. If that parenting falls below 40% so that one parent has the child more 60% or more of the time, there is an ability for that parent to ask for full child support that the husband pay the, the full amount that they should be paying um, for that month that they're not exercising uh, access with the child. So there is a risk that the wife could come back um, when the crisis is over and say, you know, for these three months, I had the children more than 60% of the time, and therefore I should get the full child support amount rather than the set-off child support amount for those three okay. months. Okay, you're just, you're, just, you're just fading out a little bit there, just right at oh, the end okay. there again, too. Um, Dave in Maple Ridge, back to the phone lines. Hiya, Dave. Hello, how are you doing? Good, go ahead. Okay, I was just explaining. What I've got is I got a 20, 22 year old daughter who's separated from her ex, and they have a 50 50 arrangement. Uh, he has her one week, um, she has the other week. Now, about six weeks ago, I guess it is, started this pandemic. Um, 4 30 on the Friday, when he's supposed to return the child, he just called the my daughter up and 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 Ida isolated for two weeks because my three-year-old was supposed to come to my house which at that time was still somewhat safe um and he just decided he said to her i'm not bringing her back until covid19 is over what what's the deal oh can he do that Stuart? well he, he cannot do that under the yeah. under the current law there there is an obligation to continue to observe and obey existing court orders and existing written agreements unless you go to court and obtain an order that suspends or varies the existing agreement or order. So uh, in that circumstance, the party who is being denied access could bring an urgent application uh, to the court in order to uh, obtain an order to enforce the existing parenting arrangement. And the court will focus on that application on the evidence of each of the parties as to what they are doing to address the COVID situation. So each of the parties will have to swear an affidavit under oath stating what their arrangements in their own household is in order to uh, deal with the COVID crisis. So are they washing hands? Are they preventing other people from coming into the home? Are they social distancing? Those kind of factors are considered by the court. 
Okay, Stuart, what about travel restrictions during this pandemic? Or let's say you've got a divorced or separated couple with shared custody of kids, and maybe one parent informs the other, her, the ex-partner that I'm going to take the kids on a, on a trip or I'm going to be traveling into the interior or just taking the kids anywhere. And if the other partner is concerned ab- about tr- their kids traveling during this pandemic, do, do any parents have any rights on that? Well, the, again, the expectation of the court is that both parents will comply with existing government restrictions. So, yeah. you know, if somebody says, I'm going to take the kid to, uh, you know, uh, Disneyland in Tokyo, if that was still open or whatever, uh, that would be an obvious violation of the current restrictions. And the, the parent who opposes that could bring an urgent application to uh, suspend or restrain the other parent's ability to travel with the child, to order that the passport of the child be surrendered, um, or to get an order of the court just restricting the person from proceeding with the travel. So those things can be addressed by the court. Okay, we just got about a minute left here. But what? If, like, I thought it was very interesting, the one caller describing a situation where, let's say you've got shared custody of some kids maybe you got some teenage kids and one parent has maybe got i don't know stronger discipline in the house for keeping the kids at home and making sure they're not going out with friends or boyfriends or girlfriends or something the other parent is letting the kids go out more often can that lead to a dispute among parents and and what rights would one parent say like hey i'm worried about my kids going out and maybe exposing themselves to this virus when they're in the care of my ex-partner can you get some relief on that well, it, yes, it's possible to to get uh, court orders that deal with the outcome of that. I mean, the problem yeah. is with teenage kids, you're not going to... I mean, I have three sons that are, you know, 19 and then two of them in their 20s. And, yeah. uh, you know, the chances of me controlling what they do with their social lives is very minimal at this stage. So, um, you know, yes, you can go to court in terms of, uh, orders to that that parenting time not proceed or that parenting time uh, does proceed in the face of uh, what the children are exposing them to and the courts uh, in accordance with the decisions I cited will consider uh, what's in the best interest of the children in making that determination but, but forcing the, ch- the children uh, one way or the other is not something you know the courts have no ability to make orders that require the children to do or not do only they can only okay. control the parents. Stuart thank you for coming on. My pleasure.